Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for music that can lift us into your presence and remind us of the fact that we are part of something that you are doing in the entire universe, of the only thing you're doing in the universe today, the most significant thing you're doing in the universe today. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to be part of what you're doing. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So, I asked you what the job of the guy in the corner is. Now, how many of you have never watched a boxing match? Oh, okay, good. So most of you have seen a boxing match at one time or another. And you'll notice that between rounds, the boxers go back to their corner, and for 60 seconds, all kinds of people descend upon them. But there's one person who descends upon him specifically eye to eye. Now the others give him a drink, the others sponge him down and, and you know, let him cool down a bit. Uh, but the person who goes eye to eye, the corner man, is usually his trainer. And the first thing he'll take care of is if there's any blood, he has to take care of that to stop the bleeding at that point in time. But then his job is to get that boxer ready to go back out into the ring and fight again. So some of what he does at that point in time is encourage him. Let him know this is what you're doing right. And he does that because he's got less than 60 seconds now to be able to instill courage inside of that man to get back into the fight. Now, you and I may not be aware of it, but every single day we step into a boxing ring. The Bible tells us that we're involved in spiritual warfare every single day of our lives. Jesus taught us that we should, on a daily basis, pray for protection from the evil one, for example. Most of us don't. We just go out into the world like, eh, got it, got it nailed. I don't have to worry about it. We go out into a world where we face opposition from, from Satan. We go into a broken world. That's one of the things that, that is just so hard to get come to grips with. This world will never be heavenly. We'll have little heavenly tastes of, of, of heavenly here on earth. This world will never be a heavenly world. It's a broken world. We walk into a broken world. But we also go as broken people. And as we grow as broken people, often we're our own worst energy, uh, energy enemy. That we're the ones who are causing more difficulty in our lives. It's interesting. With all the affluence we have, never before has there ever been a nation that has got so much stuff. You would think we would be so contented and so happy. It's not true. The amount of people suffering with depression is climbing all of the time. The number of people committing suicide is climbing right now, climbing scarily. Middle-aged men and teenagers are the two who are in most danger right now of, of living in a world where we've got all of this stuff available to us, and yet we're not happy creatures. There's something, something wrong, and often it's within ourselves. But sadly, also, some of the time when we step out into this world, the opposition doesn't come from the devil, doesn't come from the world, doesn't come from ourselves, it comes from other church members. We talked about spiritual gifts last week, and some people believe that they have the gift of discouragement. It is their job, it is their job to find you doing something wrong, no matter how tiny, and to make sure that they point out to you what you're doing wrong. And that's because we're wired wrongly on the inside. So it's no surprise then that when you open the scriptures, 
you find that we are often told to encourage one another. And it's encourage. Put wind in one another's sails. This world is a discouraging place to live. And one of the gifts we give to one another as members of God's family is that we give the gift of implanting energy, courage inside of one another. Now, there's a word that is used often in the Bible, and we're going to run into it often now. It is the Greek word parakaleo, and it comes from two words, parakaleo, to call alongside. And it was a wonderful word because it's translated multiple ways, and it's always translated by the kind of context in which you will find it. So, for example, when Jesus knew his disciples were, were, were now getting disturbed, on the last night he was with them. They were finally getting the, 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 the message that something terrible is going to happen the next day. They'd ignored everything he told them about the fact that he was going to go to the cross. And finally, they began to get disturbed enough that he could now get their attention. And he said to them, I'm going to ask the Father, and he is going to send you another parakletos, another person just like myself, and he will be with you, and he will be in you. And that's the word that he used for the Holy Spirit at that point in time. Multiple ways to translate this. It could be the comforter. He could be the advocate. An advocate is somebody who stands in your place in the law, in, in law and becomes your defense attorney. Sometimes he's a motivator. Sometimes he's there to counsel you. Sometimes he's there to encourage you. So this word can be translated multiple ways depending upon the, the, the particular context in which we find it. What is important to understand is that often in the Bible, we are told to become paracletes, cornermen in one another's lives. It is our job to instill energy and courage and hope in one another. The book of 1 Thessalonians, for example, in chapters 4 and chapter 5, you're going to discover that we are told there to encourage one another. And let me just encourage you now with just something that just happened. Oh, I love it. Thank you, guys. Perfect timing. <laughs> so those of you who sit in the back row, from now on, I'm going to encourage you to move one row forward. Okay? And we're going to do that because our teenagers help the children's ministry start. So they help them with their worship time. Then when they're done, they're going to be coming in to join us here in the service. And so what we want to do is we want to reserve the back row for the teenagers. So everybody who sits in the back row right now, move one row forward in the future, except for, are you with me there? Except for our people who are, our ushers who are on duty at that particular point in time so that we save a seat for them. So thank you for giving me a perfect opportunity <laughs> to put myself into the role of the Ayatollah. So you're with me there, everybody who sits in the back row, every, in fact, everybody, whatever row you sit in, move one row forward from now on, so we make row for the room in the back row, because these guys are ministering for us, and we want to make sure that we make them welcome. All right, so, back to encourage. Book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, speaking about the end times, tells us that as the end times come, we're going to be living in a world that's going to get more and more hostile. And it's going to be a world in which the world is going to turn against us more and more. If you've been following what's happening in the news, what is happening all over our country, you can tell that our nation is turning hostile to Christianity. And it's going to continue to get more and more hostile. 
And so we are going to need to encourage one another, to hold one another up. The book of Hebrews, interesting thing, nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews until now. I'm about to tell you who wrote the book of Hebrews. But first, let's see what he says. The writer, talking to people who are going through suffering, says to them, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds in the light of the fact that the world is going to get darker and worse coming up. Not giving up meeting together, hold it. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but there's the word, encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the things we're going to have to learn is that we're going to have to become more and more of team members who are there to help one another with the fight, to help strengthen one another as we battle with our own health, as we battle with finances, as we battle with family, as we battle with the things of this world that drain us of courage. Our job is to encourage one another, and even more as you see the day approaching. Now, nobody knows for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. The Apostle Paul is one particular potential person. Uh, Priscilla is one pot potential writer. You're about to learn who actually wrote the book. You ready for this? His name was Barnabas. Barnabas was a, an associate of Paul. By the way, I'm, just, I'm, I'm pushing it. I do think he wrote it. Because the book of Hebrews is an incredibly encouraging book. Book of Hebrews, his whole point in the book is to get alongside believers and get them back into the fight. To get them back moving forward with the Lord. And that was the nature of a man called Barnabas. And he's known in the Bible as Mr. Encourager. One of the best ways for us to understand how do we encourage one another is to watch somebody who is a master at it doing it. Now, this man was a Jewish man. He was, uh, he was from the island of Cyprus, which is below uh, uh, Turkey today. He was a Jewish person who had become a Christian, and soon after he became a Christian, his name was Simon, soon after he became a Christian, he got a nickname, and his nickname was Mr. Encourager. We read this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, Joseph, his name is Joseph or Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Son of encouragement is an Aramaic term, bar navas, son bar navas, motivator. He was somebody who when you were around him, you felt motivated, you felt encouraged, you felt moving forward. He was just somebody who would come alongside people. And on this occasion, a wealthy man, he sold some probably beachfront property, brought the money, and gave it to the church so that they could use it to help with the poor Christians. And so here's a man who didn't just say things of encouragement. He actually acted and did something significant for encouragement. What I'm going to ask you to do, I put an outline of where we're going and want to suggest that he, as we learn these principles about him, as we watch him in action, we apply some of them. And the first application is look for someone to encourage today, perhaps through your generosity. Be aware of that. Um, I never can remember his name, the, the one-minute manager. Who wrote that book? Come on. Anyway, great brother in Christ. In his book, he, he's got a great principle. He says, catch people doing something right. And let them know. 
Catch people doing something right. Most of us catch people doing something wrong. We're always ready. Oh, okay, whatever, do me wrong. Catch people doing something right and let them know. And since nobody's perfect, he says, then catch people doing something approximately right <laughs> and let them know. And all of us can do that. All of us can start to retune our brains that we're watching for something, watching for people doing things and appreciating them, letting them know what they do. Bill, where are you? Bill Troop. You guys are not aware of the fact that he arrives here about an hour before you get here, and he gets the, the, the blower, and he blows all the leaves away so that when you come into church, you don't track the, the stuff in here, and they don't crunch under your feet. And he spends an hour clearing this place, getting it ready for you. And so, thank you. I'm encouraging you. Please keep doing it. Okay. <laughs> So the interesting thing about him is he's a young believer. It's the young church. They've, they haven't been going long, but already he shows up as somebody who is so encouraging to have around. They give him a nickname, son of encouragement. Now, we notice something else, that he is the son of encouragement because the source of parakletos is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he comes, the Spirit will be with you and he will be in you. And one of the things is he is the ultimate source of, the, of, of encouragement. So we could call him the son of the Holy Spirit. He, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now here's what happened around this verse. The, 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 the apostles in Jerusalem heard that up in the city of Antioch, there were people becoming followers of Jesus Christ, and many of them were not Jews. Oh, they were pagans. They were Gentiles. And they were becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And so the, the, the apostles down in Jerusalem sent Barnabas, somebody they could trust, to go up there to find out what's going on. And when he got there, he found out, yeah, the gospel is for everybody. People are being saved. Jews, Gentiles, all kinds of people are getting saved. And Barnabas was somebody who wasn't carrying with him at this point in his life that kind of, of, of restriction of thinking, no, you've got to become a Jew first. Then you can become a Christian. Had Barnabas not put his finger on that and then later on brought it back to a council in Jerusalem, we'd have ended up with a Jewish church and a Greek church or a Gentile church. Instead, he was the one who helped to open the door so that the, the, the message got through. No, you don't have to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian. Aren't you glad you don't have to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian? Especially men, because you'd have to be circumcised. But moving right along. Okay, so. And when he went there, this Mr. Son of the Holy Spirit began to minister there. And gift of evangelism. Obviously, many people were brought to the Lord. Now, one of the people who came to the Lord was an utterly unexpected person. His name was Saul. He was the persecutor of the church. He stood there and was complicit in the very first Christian being martyred for their faith. He stood there and watched while Stephen was stoned to death. Then, because of his passion as a Jewish religious leader, he began to round up men and women who professed belief in Jesus Christ and throw them in prison. He was passionate to stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He decided to go up to Damascus where he heard that the gospel was now going there and people were believing in Jesus Christ. And so he got letters from the high priest and he set out on a horse to go up and arrest Christians up in the city of Damascus. 
But on the way there, Jesus stepped in front of him. Now, Jesus had risen and gone back to heaven, but Jesus came back for him. And Jesus knocked him off of his horse, made him blind, sent him into the city, uh, and, to, and, and a man came to him and, and ministered to him. And Saul, the persecutor of the church, became Paul, the greatest missionary of, of that era at all. And then Paul said, I want to go to Jerusalem and meet with the apostles. <laughs> How welcome would we be? Okay? If somebody, if, if somebody said, you know, I, I know I've been a terrorist, but I'm better now. I know I've been a terrorist, and I want to come and join you guys. I mean, that would be that kind of... A, a, so, of course, their attitude toward him was, are you kidding? This man, is, it's, he's probably doing it because he wants to secretly come in among us to get the names of Christians so that he can then turn them in. And so the church was understandably not willing to do that. And so into the, into the scene steps Mr. Encourager. And I'm going to give him several titles here. It's Mr. Second Chance. He's able to take a look at Paul when he meets him and evaluate him and conclude not only who he was, but who he is and who he can become. That's what an encourager does. Not just who the person was, who they are now, but also to be able to see who that person can become in the future. None of us is a lost cause. No one is a lost cause, okay? Not one person on earth is beyond the reach of God. We need to understand that, that one of our jobs is to be those who bring the concept of a second chance to other people. Prison ministry is one of the most fruitful ministries you can, you can imagine. And I want to encourage some of you. We'll, we'll give you information on it in the future. There's a, there's a ministry called Kairos. They go into the high-end prisons. They go into Donovan Prison right down here in the city. And they go in there and spend four days with the inmates in the prison and gather them together. And it is the most astonishing thing to see those men give their life to Jesus Christ. And it's real. Because if they do that, once they go back out, out into the war, out, out into the yard, that's a dangerous thing to have done. If they give their lives to Jesus Christ, it becomes known. And so it's a dangerous thing to do. So you know these guys aren't just becoming converted because they've got nothing to do. They're becoming converted because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're willing to step out into that dangerous world. And so we call him Mr. Second Chance. It says, when he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Can you imagine what that meeting was like? It's like, okay, wait, wait, where are we going to meet? This, this better be in a place where we can find the exits and run. Because if Paul comes, we're afraid that the army will be behind him. The soldiers will be behind him. He brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine the switch that happened? Among the Jewish people to see this man, the Jewish leaders were welcome, wel waiting to welcome him into Damascus because now he was going to help them arrest Christians. And instead he goes about preaching about Jesus Christ. An absolutely astonishing change uh, in, in this man. And only God can bring about those kind of transformations 
in our lives. And so Barnabas had gone there and examined Paul, watched him, heard him speak, knew what was going on. And as a result, it says, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. We can't imagine the impact he was having at that point in time. This is the city where he had started the persecution. This is the city where he was rounding up people to throw them in prison. And all of a sudden, he's doing the opposite. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling people about this man who is God, who became a man named Jesus, who died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. This man is God, this man Jesus, and he's preaching the gospel there. So interesting thing about Paul is that immediately he becomes an evangelist. He immediately becomes somebody who wants to convert others. He could have accepted Christ and just gone away quietly. To be able to want to lead other people to Christ. Did you notice that? He wanted to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. Often we think, oh dear Lord, it means I've got to go to the mall and I've got to corner people with the gospel. No, not necessarily. I've done that. It's not fun. <laughs> but most of us, when we think evangelists, think of going out and standing on the street corner and yelling to people, repent and stuff like that. Not at all. Evangelism, having that passion is just, and I'm asking you to ask God to give it to you. That desire, just to see other people become followers of Jesus Christ. Ask him to give you a longing for that, a hunger for that. That you would see other people not as enemies, but as victims of the enemy. As people who Jesus loves and wants to bring into his family. It's a whole different way of looking at the world. And Paul immediately began to look at the world that way. And it was Barnabas who saw that potential in Paul and brought him there to give him another chance. Look at your notes there. Everybody needs a Barnabas at one time or another. Who needs you this week? It may be somebody who's fallen into sin. It may be somebody who's done something wrong. It may be somebody who's hurt you. There may be somebody who needs you to come to them and be their corner man. You may have to help mop up some blood, <laughs> clean up some, some, some sweat. There, it may not be a comfortable thing, and it may be risky, okay? If you do that, it may be risky for you to do it. In the couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the fact that there are times when God calls on us to go to a brother or a sister who's fallen into sin and to confront them, to bring them back to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is a scary thing to do. But all of us need a Barnabas like that, somebody who will come and who will come to us and know, I know the wounds you've got are self-inflicted, but I want to help bring you back to your, your walk with the Lord. And then we find out that another factor about Mr. Encourager is that he is also Mr. Second Fiddle. Now, think about it. He goes up to, to, to the city uh, of, um, where did he go? Antioch. And in Antioch, people are getting saved, and the church is growing, and he could become the senior pastor of Antioch, and he could be the evangelist, and he could buy himself a jet plane and a nice big house. He could have it all because he's got this opportunity. And then Paul comes along. Like, eh, now I've got a team member. I need to pull, push him down, hide him. We've all got enough jealousy inside of us. We've all got enough envy inside of us 
that it's one of the things that makes it very hard that sometimes we're called to play second fiddle, to be the person who promotes somebody else. And that's what happened. As the church was growing, nine years goes, go by, Barnabas goes and finds Paul and says, Paul, I need your help. Okay, the church is growing in Antioch. I need your help. Come and help me. So Paul comes to help him in Antioch. Okay, so now you've got two of them preaching, teaching, ministering together. And as they're doing so, the Holy Spirit says, while the church is worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, watch the order, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Isn't that sweet? The Holy Spirit called him Barnabas. I love it. Just like, yeah, Mr. Encouragement. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So the Spirit said to the church, I want you to give me these men. I'm going to send them now. And this was the beginning of three journeys that the Apostle Paul would take where he went into Asia Minor, up into what is modern-day Turkey, Macedonia, Greece, and he began to spread the gospel on three separate journeys. On this first journey, it's Barnabas and Saul who set out on the journey. And it's a pretty tough journey. They get thrown out of towns. They get stoned. They get abused. But they keep on going. But something interesting happens during this journey. They switch places. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. In each one of those churches now, Paul and Barnabas, as they retraced their steps, they appointed leaders in the church. But notice who's in first. Now it's Paul and Barnabas is assisting him. And so they've switched places and Barnabas is not fighting about that. He's happy to have let Paul step into that position. And being an encourager means that you and I need to be in the place where we look for potential in other people. We look for potential in people that perhaps could threaten us if we were to promote them. But come on, <laughs> this is the kingdom of God. And our job is to be able to find people, watch for the potential, and then do what we can to help them take that next step forward. Okay, now, so... Barnabas and Paul, two absolutely perfect people, okay? Just no problem at all, no difficulties at all between them, except that on one of their journeys, Barnabas invited his cousin, John Mark, to go with him. And halfway through the journey, John Mark, for some reason we don't know, deserted them. I mean, think of it, you're, you're, you're preaching the gospel, people are throwing stones at you, it's not fun. And John Mark went, mm, okay, I'm out of here. And he backed away and abandoned them. Sometime later, they were going on another one of these journeys. And Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark with them on this journey. And Paul, being the wonderful, godly, perfect man he was, said, sure thing. Nope, that's not what happened. And we find out that we see Barnabas now being Mr. Second Chance in somebody else's life. We read, ah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. 
Okay, at this point in time, it's all right. We're just having a committee meeting. We're just discussing it. And Paul says, I don't think it's wise to take him with us. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Can you imagine Christian men doing that? Leaders doing that? They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers, to the grace of the Lord. And so they split up and they went their separate ways on, this, on their missionary journeys. And they, they, the, the communication between them had broken down. And so they spent the rest of their lives bitterly angry at one another. No. Something really strange happens in the meantime. And as you read the letters of Paul, you discover that suddenly something has happened. He writes to the Colossian church and he says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. He's in prison. And in prison, he's got these two people helping him. Aristarchus, remember in their prison in those days, you were put on house imprisonment, but you had to provide your own food. You had to have people bring you food. They, the government didn't provide it. You had to have people who were there caring for you. You had to stay in that house. You were, you were locked in the house, but you had, to, you had to provide your own food. And so Aristarchus is there, and guess who? John Mark. That same person that he said, no, he's too much of a sissy. I don't want him with me anymore. When you're in prison and people were there helping you, and Paul was in prison and was facing potential execution. He wasn't executed at this time. He was later, but, but this was his first imprisonment. When you're in prison and facing execution, anybody associated with you is in great danger as well because the potential is they could be arrested as well. We're going to kill him because of what he believes in. We're going to kill these guys as well. And so John Mark is now at Paul's side, helping him in the midst of his imprisonment. How did he get there? We have to fill in the blanks. But I think it was because Barnabas had taken John, taken John Mark under his wing and had then mentored him and grown him and strengthened him, seeing the potential in him, knowing that give him a second chance and maybe he will change, maybe he will grow. And he did. He grew tremendously. Application from this is restore someone who is defected or fallen, even if you just let them know you care. See, too sadly, is that the, somebody has said about the church is that we shoot our wounded. And sadly, that is often the case. Somebody makes a mistake, we kick him out. And we cut him down, and we have nothing to do with him. That's not how God's people are supposed to function. We live in, in a day and age where if a politician makes one tiny little wrong statement, you're done. All of the media will jump on you and will pound on you and do everything they can to destroy you. That's the world we live in, and we have to watch that that spirit doesn't infect the church as well. The whole Me Too movement and all of that stuff that has grown up around it can become an extremely dangerous thing in the life of, of God's people. And so Barnabas saw John Mark and saw that there's potential in him took him under his wing, mentored him, grew him to the place where now he's willing to put himself in a place where he's in danger right along with the Apostle Paul. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, only Luke is with me. This is another occasion. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that cool? Now notice what happened with Paul too. 
he was able to shift. He was able to change. He was able to accept the fact that this man is now a very different man. And here's the interesting thing. This John Mark becomes the writer of one of the four Gospels in, in our Bible. He starts it with the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Barnabas saw potential in him, mentored him, grew him, strengthened him. Paul recognized his value, strengthened him, used him. And this man then eventually sat down and he wrote a book that has been part of every single Bible from the time it was collected. And so here is somebody that became someone nobody would have thought in the first place. But because an encourager came alongside of him, he was able to grow and to change. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a carrier of the Holy Spirit. We're really worried about measles lately. If you've been around somebody with measles, you can be a carrier of measles and spread measles to others. If you believed in Jesus Christ, you've been infected by the Holy Spirit. You are a carrier of the Spirit of God. That's an astonishing thought. Jesus said he will be with you, but he will be in you. And that's what believers are. The Spirit of God lives in us, which means that every single one of us is a carrier of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us has got the potential to be an encourager to other people. Watch this passage, and you'll notice each of the highlight words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. There's that word, parakletos, okay? And it could be translated here, the God of all encouragement, the God of all motivation, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Do you see the string? You and I are carriers of the Holy Spirit. And if we allow him access to our lives to comfort us when we're, when we're crying, to encourage us when we're beaten down, to give us a kick in the pants when we've lost our motivation, we let the Spirit of God be the one who has access to us to move us forward. Not only is it going to change our lives, it's going to spill over into the lives of other people so that you're able then to comfort others with the comfort that you have received. Uh, my church in Philadelphia started a ministry to divorcees. And one of the requirements for anybody leading that ministry is that you had to have been through and recovered from a divorce. And if you had been through and recovered from a divorce, then you could be a leader because only you could help people go through that. Believe me, guys, if you've never been through a, a, a divorce, you have no idea how absolutely devastating that experience is. It sucks the life out of you for years. It is the most awful experience. I've talked to people who have lost a partner to death and who've been through divorce and asked them which was worst. Every single one of them says divorce is way, way worse than losing a partner just, just through death. That's not to diminish what it's like to lose your, your, your become a widow or a widower, but still there's that. And so the ministry was designed that that. Only those who had recovered from divorce could become leaders in the ministry. And it grew like crazy because they knew the people walk into the room are going through divorce. You know what they're going through because you've been there. You've been broken into those little pieces and you know exactly how they're feeling. And God has blessed us with people who are helping us to do that here. By the way, the, the couple who first wanted to start it had never been divorced. And so they asked the church and they led the whole thing to start the ministry but then when it started, only those who'd been through divorce could lead the ministry. 
but the church wanted to honor them for what they had done, so the church gave them an honorary divorce. <laughs> we gave them a, a brochure they could hang on their wall, granted div honorary divorce. Wonderful couple. They never did get divorced, but they did do that. Here's the point. We are carriers of the Holy Spirit, okay? And as we allow him to work in our lives and to change us and transform us, it's not going to stop with us. It'll spill over into the lives of other people. We've been designed to be people who encourage one another, who come alongside one another and make sure that we're carrying the burdens of other people. Uh, there's a song which you can find on iTunes. You just may want to go download it and, and, and listen to it because it's got such good words. Josh Groban sang this. When I am down and oh my soul so weary, when troubles come and my heart burdened be, then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I am on your shoulders. You raise me up to more than I can be. Erwin McManus writes this. There is something mysterious about the way humans are designed. We are designed to be made strong by the strength of others. We find courage in the courage of others. We're energized and inspired through the energy and inspiration of others. God has deliberately given us that privilege that we can be encouraged and that we can encourage others. Let's pray together. And just in the silence of this moment, open your heart and your mind to the Spirit of God and say, is there somebody in my life who needs to be lifted up.